How are firms measuring the impact of their corporate social responsibility efforts? New research from Chicago Booth's Rustandi Center for Social Sector Innovation shows the most commonly disclosed metrics from S&P 500 firms. Researchers found that firms got an ESG score boost for disclosing more metrics regardless of performance. Learn more at chicagobooth.edu slash CSR report. Water. It's all around us. But we often take it for granted. We don't think much about it until suddenly it's all we can think about. You may remember the pictures from the water crisis six years ago in Flint, Michigan. Hundreds of angry residents holding up bottles of rust-colored water and demanding answers. New investigation by the USA Today Network is raising questions this morning about tap water nationwide. The report identified nearly 2,000 water systems used by 6 million people where excessive levels of lead were detected in the past four years. The drought that has hit the western United States for years is getting worse. Last week, the federal government declared what's called an exceptional drought for much of the region. There are plenty of problems in our world, but if our water systems aren't working, everything else takes a back seat. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, water is needed everywhere beyond just uh, living our life. This is Jin Hong Chen. He's a professor at the Pritzker School of Molecular Engineering at the University of Chicago and also holds the title of lead water strategist at Argonne National Laboratory. Without water, it cannot drive our economy and national security as well, because if there's no economy, no resource, no energy, you know, our national security is endangered. Chin is working on the cutting edge of water system engineering, trying to address some of the fast approaching water problems in the world. But he says we're not moving fast enough. Nationally, compared to energy or climate change, for example, we don't have a department of water that drives all the uh, water activities and efforts. So I think there are several uh, reasons that's making this problem less obvious and less urgent. But in fact, it's not true. Luckily, Chin is on the front lines trying to stave off a water catastrophe. And he thinks the biggest solutions will actually come from AI and machine learning. This is more like a powerful tool for us to enable some of the things that are impossible currently, right? So that's actually the most exciting role that AI could potentially uh, play. From the University of Chicago Podcast Network, this is Big Brains, a podcast about the pioneering research and pivotal breakthroughs that are reshaping our world. On this episode, how artificial intelligence can change water forever. I'm your host, Paul Rand. You are overwhelmingly focused on water. Did that come to you one day? You're taking a shower and you're thinking this water stuff's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, that's actually a very <laughs> good question. So, uh, you know, obviously water is a eternal topic of interest because uh-huh. water is essential to our life. Uh, without water, we cannot live more than three or four days, right? According to the uh, United Nations, access to water is a basic human right. Okay, well, well I guess this question is, what the average person thinks about water, and maybe that's changing as we have shortages, but but 
are we as concerned about water as we should be? Yeah, that's uh, kind of interesting, though, uh, depending on who you ask this question. Uh, so uh, most of us would take it for granted. You know, water flows automatically from our tap. And for us, for living close to the Great Lakes region, obviously, we even think in you know, water is plentiful, right? It's everywhere. And fresh water. Yeah, fresh water, especially. So how nice. But, you know, for people who are living in California and uh, Colorado, you know, uh, Arizona, they are appreciating the water value because they don't have enough fresh water there. Actually, you know, according to the National Public Radio, uh, over the next 10 years, 40 out of 50 United States will experience water scarcity. My goodness. Okay. Yeah, that's a major issue. Indeed. But water scarcity doesn't just mean a lack of drinking water. Right. So what is needed to generate energy to power our house, our offices, our universities, you know, schools, hospitals, etc. When water fails, everything fails. And we also need water to manufacture almost everything from our food to clothes to cars and electronics. I'll just give you two examples, right? So to produce a handbook, it takes 24 liters of water, which is about 600 gallons of water. We call it virtual water footprint, right? To manufacture a lithium-ion battery pack in an electrical vehicle, that takes 7,400 gallons of water, huge amount of water. Our planet is facing a vast array of water crises, and no one could try and take them all on at once. So Chen is focusing on two that he believes AI and machine learning can help solve. The first is cleaning up our drinking water. We have seen you know, our Flint water crisis, right? So that's one example. There are many others. And that also brings about environmental justice. Underserved communities typically have more water quality violations, you know, based on the uh, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency uh, standard, right? So, so we need better infrastructure and more accessible treatment uh, technologies. Our investment in water infrastructure has not kept up with the growing need to replace aging systems. In their 2021 report, the American Society of Civil Engineers gave our drinking water infrastructure a C- grade. And if that wasn't bad enough, our wastewater infrastructure got a D+. Speaking of, the second water problem Chin is working on has to do with the energy used to treat wastewater, energy that's contributing to climate change. You know, in the United States, about 3% of the electricity load is consumed by municipal wastewater treatment to remove all the organic matters and nutrients, etc. right? So it is a very energy intensive process with the current administration's, you know, our goal to decarbonize our uh, energy supply. We really need to do uh, more to reduce energy consumption and reduce the emission of greenhouse gases related to the water treatment. So those are the major challenges. So when you think about water infrastructure, you probably picture pipes, dams, and water mains, and maybe even drab-looking treatment plants. Not advanced AI computers and technology. But Chen wants us to rethink how we imagine these systems. And he says AI may be the only way to solve these problems. There are problems with uh, rich data and complex interactions that are difficult for humans to fully uh, comprehend. Right? For water uh, research, there are a number of areas that uh, are falling into this potential category. So we'll start with problem number one, 
cleaning up our drinking water by identifying and removing contaminants like PFAS, you know, perfluoroalkyl substances, is a really complicated contaminant with many uh, thousands of you know, uh, compounds. PFAS are toxic chemicals linked to serious diseases like, oh, cancer, liver damage, and thyroid disease. And guess what? They never, ever, ever degrade. In fact, they're known as forever chemicals. They are widely used as uh, firefighting foams in our nonstick cookwares, in fast food wrappers, stain-resistant copies and fabrics, cleaning uh, products, even in our personal care products. So it's everywhere. They're so prevalent, CDC scientists believe PFAS chemicals are in the bloodstreams of nearly all Americans. In order to manage this type of compounds, you know, uh, it's hard to build a physics-based model uh, to come up with a material that can effectively separate all these different types of PFAS, right? Because water contamination can occur between the water treatment plant and our kitchen. Because it's coming through pipes. Pipes, yes, they are lead in our pipelines and they are cracks in our pipelines. Bacteria can get in, mm -hmm. right? So, so all kinds of contamination events can occur. So how can we selectively uh, separate the different contaminants from water? Let's say I want to take out PFAS. Can I do that selectively? Because it's not a trivial task. There are many uh, contaminants coexisting with PFAS. So if you wanted to take out PFAS, most likely, you know, uh, if others are present at a higher concentration, that's posing a, a big problem. That's where AI and machine learning can potentially come in to build different models based on what we have already uh, learned about these chemicals and try to learn smartly to develop new materials and sensors and devices to be able to better manage this type of water contaminant. Chen is developing sensors that could work with AI and machine learning to model and detect contaminants in our drinking water faster than any human ever could. It's work he started specifically to target lead. Currently, to measure lead in the drinking water, you have to take water samples and send it to the analytic laboratories. And it's slow and it's relatively expensive. It costs, you know, uh, somewhere between 30 to 50 uh, dollars per uh, sample. So average family will not be able to afford it. When you try to figure out the water quality uh, urgently, you know, you cannot have the data until a few days later, right? So our vision was really, you know, can we develop sensors that can enable or empower the average person to measure water quality directly from their tap, right? Right. So it could be, it, it, and the intention is that it's a consumer product, it sounds like. Exactly. You know, uh, so one of the benefits for this type of uh, products is, you know, people can measure their water quality. So they are ensured, you know, their water quality is good. If it's not good, they are going to uh, find relevant measures to uh, uh, manage it. Right. So so this will help us restore the public trust of drinking water that uh, has resulted from earlier water crisis. Right. And also water utilities, they can use this type of uh, low-cost portable technology to check out water quality rapidly. Okay, For example, yes, after uh -huh. a uh, severe storm, you know, they wanted to see if there are bacteria in the water, right? So, you know, it's going to be useful for them as well. Imagine an affordable device you could pick up at any hardware store to quickly and easily test for lead at home. No complicated phone calls with labs and city officials, no scheduling contractors or tearing up pipes. 
The art is we are putting uh, nanomaterials in action in this type of devices to make it highly sensitive to water contaminants. And they're also low cost because we can uh, manufacture these chips and these uh, transistors at large scale at relatively low cost. Through uh, my uh, startup company called NanoFX, uh, we are trying to validate this uh, prototype with our uh, potential customers now as we speak. Uh, this. Uh, past couple of weeks, we just started it. So we're hoping to be able to introduce this product into uh, uh, people's hand to be able to measure water quality, just like, you know, glucose testing at home. If you listen to our last episode with you, Chicago President Paul Alvisados, and I recommend you do if you haven't already, something Chin said probably perked up your ears. The sensors he's designed use nanomaterials, specifically nanocrystals. Yes, obviously, that's very exciting. We are very happy to see, you know, President Alivisadas uh, joining us because he is the uh, true pioneer of nanocrystals, right, for uh, optoelectronic applications. And for our applications, we're using those nanocrystals for sensors, for uh, energy devices. For example, we use a lot of uh, tin oxide nanocrystals for detection of toxic gases. We are using a lot of gold nanocrystals to uh, detect uh, water contaminants and the biologic species because gold is very stable, right? And also gold conjugation chemistry is well studied. That means, you know, you can uh, attach different uh, functional groups onto gold really reliably. That enables us to be able to detect different things selectively. After the break, problem number two, how to use AI in our water system to reduce energy consumption and combat climate change. If you're getting a lot out of the important research shared on Big Brains, there's another University of Chicago Podcast Network show you should check out. It's called Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast provides a fresh perspective on the biggest political stories, not through opinions and anecdotes, but through rigorous scholarship massive data sets, and a deep knowledge of theory. If you want to understand the political science behind the political headlines, then listen to Not Another Politics Podcast, part of the University of Chicago Podcast Network. When it comes to waste and water systems, it's not just the unhealthy waste in the water that we need to worry about, but the wasted energy the systems themselves create. Energy that's contributing to climate change. As with our first problem, Chen sees a solution in AI. In a, in a uh, wastewater utilities, you know, they're trying to treat the water to the right quality, right? So, you know, we uh, treat the water to the right level of uh, purity for the right type of applications. Right. So thinking about drinking water versus uh, taking a shower uh, versus irrigation or toilet flushing, they all need different uh, quality of water. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously, for drinking, we need the highest quality uh, water to start with. And for taking a shower, maybe not so much because the more purity you uh, treat the water to, the more energy it takes, right? So uh, yes. by treating the water to the right level of purity for the right applications, you can save energy. AI machine learning can really help accelerate that process. Chin wants to use AI and machine learning to precisely monitor how our water is treated, managed, and used in order to optimize our systems and decrease wasted energy. So think about this, we need to be able to take out any contaminants as needed 
to produce precisely the type of you know uh, water we need. We also need to think about the type of energy source we are using to mm -hmm. treat the water. Right? Even better, you know, we wanted to use renewable energy to treat the water so that it can reduce the uh, greenhouse gas emission, or we can uh, recover energy already contained in the wastewater. For example, in our municipal wastewater, there are lots of organic compounds, right, and also nutrients. And there are critical uh, materials such as, you know, cobalt. And in seawater, obviously, this is even true, uh, lithium as well. And those are critical energy and materials that could be recovered to enable better energy uh, footprint and environmental footprint of our wastewater treatment. And that actually, uh, I wanted to finally uh, point out, you know, there's a, a, a exciting opportunity there to uh, recover critical materials that are important for clean energy applications. I talk about, you know, lithium from seawater and some of the uh, cobalt, you know, uh, that are important for energy storage applications. We need to be able to ensure adequate supply for this type of elements, but they are present. So we need to be able to recover those critical materials to enable a sustainable energy future. And also water quality is directly uh, contributing to our global health. But the other way around, wastewater-based epidemiology could help monitor community-level infection of diseases, such as COVID-19, right? So the virus show, shows up in the wastewater much earlier than the clinical confirmation. So that can be used as a way to monitor the uh, potential uh, pandemic outbreak. And this doesn't just stop with wastewater. Thermal electric power plants, major water users, because right. they draw uh, really large quantities of water to cool down the power plants. And they also dissipate a lot of uh, heat right, through that process, right? So, you know, we talk about, you know, AI machine learning that can help us optimize the use of the uh, cooling water. Depending on operating conditions, you can uh, precisely dose the amount of cooling water needed so that you don't waste the uh, water to be used for the cooling. Not too okay. much, right? So, so that's one major aspect. And also the AI machine learning models can help improve the, uh, the uh, energy efficiency or conversion efficiency from the thermal energy to electricity so that you don't have a lot of heat to be wasted into the uh, wastewater uh, so after the cooling. So, okay. so th those are some of the major opportunities there. All of these ideas are exciting, but it doesn't mean we're off the hook. Chen emphasizes that even with these technologies, we all play a role in fixing these problems. And obviously all this, we need public educations, uh, educating everybody to conserve water and uh, mitigate water challenges. For example, uh, producing less you know, uh, uh, waste, for example, plastics uh, into our water, right? That can be uh, very important. Like I said at the top, Chen holds the title of lead water strategist at Argonne National Laboratory, which is managed by the University of Chicago. Yeah, Argonne National Laboratory is a uh, national laboratory funded by the Department of Energy to uh, research energy-related uh, you know, challenges from fundamental science to uh, translational efforts uh, so that uh, we are you know, on the trajectory to uh, a safe and secure energy supply for our nation. In addition to his work with water, Chin has another project he's been developing that has to do with waste. All these sensors are part of the electronic devices. And one of the challenges with the electronic devices is the electronic waste. 
Right, we're generating a lot of this electronic waste. How big? How big of a problem is this? It is a huge problem. And think about our personal uh, electronic devices, right? right? Uh, yes. Many generations of computers and uh, cell phones. These electronics can have, you know, all these uh, plastics components and metals, and some of them are toxic. Plastics are not easily degradable in the environment, so they're creating a lot of environmental issues. So what to do? Chen has a solution, a really, really fascinating solution, but it's kind of, well... Yeah, so it's, it, right now it's a science fiction. Okay, so this project may be futuristic, but it's not quite fictional. It's being funded by the National Science Foundation, and it's very much based in real science. Yes, absolutely. We're very excited about this project. We started in early January. It's really to realize a vision of converting plants into electronics. Yes, you heard that right. Chen is working on making electronics out of plants. Right, so we're growing plants from water, actually, in this case. So hydroponic growth of plants. And then we extract components from these plants, uh, for example, uh, cellulose and lignin, and convert these components into bio-based inks that can be used to print electronic devices, such as the sensors we just you know, uh, talked about, right? And also lithium-ion batteries, so that this uh, battery-powered sensors can be further used to monitor the growth conditions of the plants so that you can precisely grow the plants to enable the best composition to drive the printing process and to achieve better performance for these devices. So we're producing biodegradable electronic devices from plants. And we can do this better with AI machine learning because we're going to be able to learn throughout this process to make this growth process better and better to achieve better device performance. And Another important aspect of this uh, project is, in the end, we're hoping to be able to demonstrate a cyber manufacturing platform. It's a virtual platform for everybody to access so that you can print your own devices from your home or from a nearby library using bio-based inks. You know, imagine in the future you wanted to have a sensor to monitor carbon monoxide. Just go there and get onto the uh, online platform and print it out. How far off is this this type of goal in your mind? You know, I think in uh, in five years, this is a five-year project. We're okay. hoping to be able to demonstrate such a concept. Argonne is celebrating its 75th anniversary this year. Its rich history of scientific discovery includes all sorts of research on energy infrastructure. And we're talking about clean energy supply, you know, energy storage, energy management, so it is a comprehensive uh, research and development laboratory uh, with a lot of cutting-edge uh, facilities, world-class facility actually, uh, uh, including some of the user facilities that researchers across the nation, around the world, can come to uh, do experiments and do computational efforts. And we also have you know, world-class experts uh, ranging from engineering to science to uh, social science and life science, etc. You know, a very wide range of expertise uh, that are needed to address the energy challenge. You know, it's one of the consistent themes that that 
I hear on the Big Brains podcast is, especially when we're thinking about science at scale, and I think you're touching on this, it's not only the science that has to be looked at. You're talking about public policy issues. You're talking about economics issues. Um, you're talking about general society issues. So to solve even the water challenges that you're talking about, it's not just what you do in a lab. It has to be looked at holistically, doesn't it? It's exactly true. It's a holistic solution. It's a convergent solution. Mm -hmm. and, and, and being in a place, I imagine, not only at Argonne, but also I'm imagining here at the University of Chicago, is the ability to draw on expertise looking at all these areas, hopefully, is one of the advantages um, of being at, at one of the world's leading research universities that, that we can impact. Yes, that's our advantage. We have all these expertises, I know, across UChicago and Argonne National Lab. Mm -hmm. And especially for UChicago, you know, we are not only having a new engineering program here, a very uh, frontier engineering program, but also we have traditionally been very strong in social economic sciences and political sciences, etc. We could potentially integrate those strengths into holistic solutions for water and energy problems for our society. Big Brains is a production of the UChicago Podcast Network. If you like what you heard, please give us a review and a rating. The show is hosted by Paul M. Rand and produced by me, Matt Hodap. Thanks for listening.